Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Man, what a wonderful, wonderful song to think about the greatness of God. What a wonderful thing. Uh, man, it is good to see you. We've had another uh, busy week and uh, had a great day of upward basketball yesterday. Thank you again to all those who are serving uh, with that ministry. And uh, it's, it's just a joy to see uh, the looks, not only on the children's faces, but also the looks on the parents' places, when they, on their faces, when they know that there's a, a place that they can come and bring their children to that not only we're going to have fun with the game of basketball and, and maybe teach some basic skills and things, basketball and cheerleading, but they can know that at this place, when we run an upward basketball league, we're going to share the Word of God with them. Amen? And uh, that's certainly a joy and a privilege to be a part of that. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to do it one more time. We're going to do it one more time. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3. I want to encourage you to keep one another in prayer. There are a number of folks that are under the weather, including my dear wife. I've been uh, quarantined from her. She's dealing with some sinus and, and congestion issues and whatnot. And so she's gone to uh, get that checked out even this morning. And so, um, you know, I'm living on one side and she's living on the other side of the house. By the way, the house isn't that big. So some of you are thinking, wow, it must be a big house. It's not really that big, but I have... Uh, the. The colonel and I have kept our distance uh, this past week while she's been under the weather. So pray for her and all those that are sick. And we've had some that have uh, come through surgery. Many of you have been praying for Jason Robinson out in Oklahoma. One of our former members here, he and his wife live out in Oklahoma, was, uh, was the recipient of a successful heart transplant the other day. So praise the Lord. And... Uh, Incredible, yes. Yeah. So uh, continue to pray for he and Megan and the rest of the family out there in Oklahoma. And, uh, and, and I know that they would appreciate that. I know uh, Brother Tolly has surgery this week, I believe. Cataract surgery coming up this week. And so we want to pray for him. And uh, there are some others. I know that uh, Ron Felons' wife was due to have surgery this past week. They've postponed that. So please continue to pray for Mary Felons as well. But let's get into God's Word this morning, Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to look at uh, verses 9 and 10 as we get started, and then we'll, we'll be off and running. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, verse number 9, the Bible says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Verse number 10 says, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new Wine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the time that we've had to just to be able to sing and to remind ourselves that we stand firmly and confidently in your love because of Jesus. Lord, and how, as even we sang this morning, we're reminded, as I always say, that we're a needy people. And Lord, we need thee every hour. We need thee every minute, every second of the day. So, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us and open up the eyes of our understanding by your Spirit, that your Word might fall upon the good soil of our hearts, Lord, because you are a great, great God. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will in your way today. God, I pray that if there is one who has strayed from thee or one who has never trusted thee, Lord, that you will do what only you can do, Lord, through the teaching and preaching of your Word. Pray that you'll help me to step back so that you might be able to step forward and through your word speak to hearts and lives and we'll give you the praise and the glory for all of it. For it's in the precious and powerful name of your son Jesus that we do pray and for his sake, amen and amen. 
Well, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about, uh, well, we've really been looking at God's Word to see what He has to say in regards to our management, our stewardship, if you please, of all the different things that you and I have been entrusted with. And typically, at the beginning of the year, I'll start in some kind of way and talk about stewardship, and everybody gets really, really excited. <laughs> everybody usually is like, uh, is it February? Have we moved on from stewardship? Everybody gets really excited, which is why I try to take stewardship uh, typically in the non-traditional way. You know, a lot of times when pastors teach on stewardship, uh, it seems like there's four or five messages on your finances. And by the way, uh, I believe that everything that we have has been given to us by God, so you need to be a good steward in that regard as well. But I think there are some other areas that uh, sometimes if we're not careful, we overlook and uh, when it comes to honoring the Lord with our substance, as verse number 9, if you look at verse number 9, as it says, really remember what we're talking about is honoring the Lord with the entirety of our estate, everything that we have. And so every resource that's been given to us, and honestly, one of the resources that I think that if we're not careful that we seem to overlook you know, we've talked about time, and a lot of times, you know, you get the T's, the time, treasures, and talents. And so a lot of guys teach it that way. And so we've talked about the stewardship of our time, and we've talked about whether God can trust us or not. But one of the things that I think that we overlook many times is a very, very precious gift that you and I have called life. Have you breathed this morning? It's a beautiful, precious gift that we've been given. And I'm afraid many times that we overlook it. But since biblical stewardship, I said this last week, since biblical stewardship is a God-given responsibility with accountability, it's vital that you and I get it right when it comes to the management of this gift that we've been given called life. Because here's the reality. Our great God who has blessed and entrusted us with life, quite honestly, he wants to fulfill his plan and his purpose in our lives. Do you know that just as he knew Jeremiah before he formed him in his mother's womb, and I'm not just talking about Travis and Megan's son, I'm talking about the prophet Jeremiah, the Bible tells us that God knew him before he even formed him and he had a plan for him. Do you know he has a plan for each and every one of us? Do you know that? He has a purpose for each and every one of us. And so it's pretty important. Turn with me a couple of places. I want you to put your finger one, Matthew chapter 5, and then Philippians chapter 2. If you, if you need a Bible, there's one there in the seat back. I want to encourage you, you can do it on your phone or whatever, but I encourage you to bring your Bible. And we're going to get into God's Word. But look, I'm just going to have you turn to a couple of places this morning because I want you to see uh, the reality of this gift that we've been given and what we're supposed to do with it. Look with me in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, draw your attention down. Very familiar passage of scripture in verse number 13 and following. Look at what Jesus has to say. He tells these people, he says, Number one, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Now watch what he says. He moves on from the salt illustration he moves on to this idea of being light in verse number 14 he says you are the light of the world you say hold on I thought Jesus was the light of the world guess what here he says you and I are the light of the world why because we have been given the light of life because of Jesus so he says you're the light of the world he says a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now just stop there for a second. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Do you know that that word set in this verse means that you and I as believers today have been strategically positioned right where we are. Isn't that good? Good, bad, me, oh my. Are we awake this morning? Do you know God showed every one of us mercy? You're here in Virginia, not West Virginia. I'm just teasing. I'll pay, pay him scowling. Listen, I can't get away with those things. My mom's from West Virginia. I'll hear about it later because they'll watch the live stream and they'll give me a, she'll give me a few words when I hang up. But listen, I'm trying to get your attention this morning. You and I have been strategically placed for a purpose because God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you just as he has a purpose and a plan for me. Isn't that good? It's good to know that God 
cares so much about us that he loved and he gave himself for us, right? But he also has a purpose for us. That means he wants me to be included in his plan. That's awesome. How amazing and how overwhelming is it to think that God wants me to be a part of his plan? But that's what this Bible is saying. Notice the city that's set on the hill cannot be hid. Look at verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Look at verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify, watch it, glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now look at the beginning of verse number 16. That word let means allow it. Guess what? You didn't do anything to get the light. You didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it. You didn't serve for it. You got it because of the grace of God. So guess what? Just allow that grace, allow that light, allow that love, allow that joy, allow that peace, allow that, man, I can keep going, the hope, and on and on. Let it shine. Somebody might get excited today other than me. <laughs> Y'all gonna have to help me out. It's February 5th. I'm not a winner fan. Someone said that I was, uh, oh, I think Brother Dennis said I was already jumping the gun on spring with my blazer. Maybe it's because I don't like cold weather. I'm looking forward to the weather this week, evidently. Lord willing. Listen, as followers of Christ, this passage, just in Matthew chapter 5, this, this little short few verses of scripture that we just read, this passage is reminding you and us that as temporary, watch it, temporary inhabitants of this earth. I'm moving on. We're just pilgrims and strangers passing through. You, if you don't realize that you're a temporary inhabitant of this earth, I hate to burst your bubble or to give you some joy this morning, but you're just passing through. And this passage is reminding me that as a temporary inhabitant and a permanent residence of God's kingdom, that while I'm here, as Travis says it upwards, we need to make much of Jesus. He needs to be magnified. He needs to be glorified. And that's what the passage is saying. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father which is in heaven. Oh, listen, how we live and manage our life is a big deal. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. When you get to Philippians chapter 2, drop down to verse number 14 and following. And this is Paul. He's writing the church at Philippi, a group of believers. He's writing to the saints at Philippi. And here's what he says. He says, do all things without murmurings murmurings that's King James translated do all things without complaining do all things without contention is what scripture is saying let me let's take a poll I know everybody's going to be really transparent and honest especially in a Baptist church we got any complainers Anybody ever been a complainer? Come on, be honest. We complain about everything. We complain if something don't smell right, look right, or taste right. Am I right? Paul says here, he says, do all things without murmurings and without disputings. In other words, do everything without complaining, without contention, and without selfish. Watch it, where he says disputings without selfish reservations. You know, sometimes we do things out of selfishness, don't we? Because I want what I want, when I want it, and how I want it, and thank you, yes sir, yes ma'am, give it to me now. That's why we have so many drive throughs in the United States of America. And if the drive through takes longer than 90 seconds, we have called them to help the, 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 their, their, their line to give them, give them heck. I was at the Burger King the other day. Did you know it took me eight minutes to get through the drive-thru? It would have been quicker, sir, if you got out of your car and went inside. By the way, there's times that I do that. If I see a line that's wrapped around the building, that's no bueno for me. I'm getting out of my car and I'm going inside. Because typically there's only two or three people standing in line these days. You want to know why? Because after 2020, everybody got scared to go inside. 
I'm just being honest. Everybody got scared to go inside and order, order a burger or something. And so guess what? I go in all the time. Man, I found a new delight of mine. I know I'm chasing a rabbit down the other trail, but I just got to share it with you. After physical therapy, one of my new delights is going to Chick-fil-A in Warrington. I'm not, I'm not pushing Chick-fil-A, but they have a wonderful, beautiful thing that I've learned to take, you know, full, full advantage of. It's called senior coffee. Oh, I love me some senior coffee. Hey, how about that free coffee at Chick-fil-A? Man, oh man. Only reason I learned that is because I ordered, uh, ordered a little Chick-fil-A breakfast meal and I forgot to say senior coffee and the next guy pulled up beside me and he said senior coffee with his meal and it caught $2.15 off the deal. I said, that's three quarters of a gallon of gas. I'm going to say senior coffee from now on. Listen, you got to be smart out here, folks. Well, now that everybody's woke up, you see how I did that? Now that we're all woke up, listen to what Paul says. He says, listen, do all things without murmurings, without complaining, without disputing, without, without contention, without selfish reservations. Notice he continues in verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Watch, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, uh, among whom, watch what he says, you shine as what? Lights in the word, holding forth. The word of life. Listen, because of Jesus Christ, you and I have the word that can set people free. Oh, it set us free. If you're in Christ, you've been set free. You know, before Christ, we were talking about this a little bit on Wednesday night. I want to encourage you to take advantage of every opportunity to get in, to get in God's word. Wednesday night, we were talking about the fact that before Christ, Ephesians 2 and verse number 1 reminds us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In verse number 1 and verse number 2, it says that we were children of disobedience. If you go on a little further on, in verse number 12, it says that we were without hope. But the beautiful thing is because of Christ, Ephesians 5, 8 says that you and I are now light in the Lord. We are light in the Lord. Therefore, as managers of a life that has been changed by the power of the gospel, we are commanded to shine. But you know, our shine isn't about us. Our shine has nothing to do with me or you. Our shine is not to be selfish or prideful the shine that scripture is talking about, let our light so shine before men. The shine that we're talking about is this idea of a biblical life that is well managed and well lived in such a way that everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do is pointing to Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 5. I want to read this verse one more time. Matthew chapter 5. In verse number 16, look at this verse one more time, and then we're going to get into points. Notice what our Lord is saying again. He says, let your light so shine. Allow it to shine before men that they may see. Now watch this. I, just, I do this. I do this in Scripture sometimes. Let your light so shine before men that they, circle it, may see, circle it, and glorify, circle it, your father circle it, right? Because it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do, watch this, with you and I displaying the glory of God. And guess what? It's real quiet in here. You want to know why? Because as soon as I read these verses and we're reminded of what God's word is telling us about letting our light so shine before men. I'm guessing just like me, we're all covered with flesh. We all start thinking about the times that we have not been really good at shining and pointing people to Christ. Oh, listen, my friends, as good managers of the things that we are entrusted with, we are entrusted with this gift of life, and we can display the glory of God in how we live, and, and here are a couple of ways that we can do it. So if you're a note taker, you want to know how to display the glory of God? I think, first of all, we can display the glory of God in our worship. 
We can display the glory of God in our worship. Now, I think about in John chapter 4, and you can flip over there if you want, but in John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well. He's told his disciples to go in and get vittles, if you please. And um, he's speaking with her, and he talks to her about living water, you know. And uh, she says she has no water. Jesus says, hey, listen, you should ask me for water. He said, I have water that if you drink my water, you'll never thirst again. And so he's not only talking to this Samaritan woman, but he's, he's talking about the whosoever wills of Scripture as well. And so he, he continues to talk with her. But notice, drop down a little bit, because when you get down to verse number 23 and 4, he starts to share the kind of worship that God is actually looking for. He's talking about worshipers, and, and so he kind of reveals to this woman the kind of worshipers that God is looking for. Look at verse 23. He says, But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now notice what he says in verse 24. A lot of people get confused here. He says, God is a spirit. In other words, he's saying, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all one. They're a spirit. And this is what he says. He says, as a divine person, as a divine person with divine perfections, we're talking about God's power, his wisdom, his love, his holiness. It's all wrapped into one. He says, watch this. God is a spirit, and they that worship him on account of his nature, on account of his perfections, on account of everything that he is and everything that he has done, he says, must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, if you and I are going to worship uh, God this morning, we have to have some faith. You got to have faith. You got to have, a, uh, and if you have faith, guess what? You're going to be a loving person. I'm just going to say it like it is. Listen. I've never met a strong man or woman of faith. Now listen to what I'm saying closely. I'm not saying that we don't get angry at times. But I've never met a strong man or woman of faith who is always angry with everything. Those things don't, they, they don't coexist. There's a problem somewhere. There's a, there's a break. There's a, there's a crack in the, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the vase, so to speak. Because God is a God of love. And so if we are in Christ, how could we walk around angry all the time? It just doesn't make sense to me, okay? And so we see here this idea of managing a life well is this idea that you and I are going to become people of worship. And you say, well, man, pastor, I actually sang this morning. You know, I, I'm a, I, listen, I, I would say this. Our worship, yes, can be seen in our praise, but are we really people of praise? You see, because being a person of praise isn't just about singing on Sunday morning. A person of praise, is, yes, will be evidenced in various facets of our life. Yes, it'll be evidenced when we sing and we praise God that way, but it'll be evidenced in our praying. It'll be evidenced, shh, don't tell anybody I told you this. It'll be evidenced in our giving. And I'm not talking about just your finances. It's going to be evidenced in what type of life. Are you a, are you a generous person, I guess? Because our God was generous. And so it's going to be evidenced in our singing, our praying, our giving. It's going to be evidenced in our living across the board. Because, see, worshiping God in spirit and truth is more than just about praise. It's more than just about praise. I put a few things down. Our worship, here's the deal. Our worship should be characterized by humility. Did we ever think about humbling ourselves before we walked into this sanctuary? We look around and we see lights and we see carpet and we see comfortable uh, seats and, and music and this, that, and the other. But did we ever think about the idea that as we come to God's house as a family to worship him humbling ourselves? See, because our worship is going to be characterized by humility. And I believe that, it's, that, that when we talk about humility, reverence is the key. When we come to the point where we're reverencing God. I think about Exodus chapter 4. Moses, you remember, he shares through Aaron. Remember, Aaron's his mouthpiece. And so he shares with the leaders of the children of Israel. I hadn't really gotten everybody gathered together yet, but in Exodus chapter 4, he shares what God's about to do. And they get all excited. But in verse number 31 of Exodus 4, here's what the leaders do. They immediately bow their heads and they worship. If you go on, 
You remember fire comes down from heaven and the, and the spirit of the living God fills the temple. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 3, the Bible tells us that all the children of Israel, they actually bowed themselves, watch this, with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised God. Here's the deal. Our attitude, our attitude uh, concerning genuine worship, I believe is going to be seen in our posture. You say, where do you get that? Well, if you read all throughout the Old Testament, you see people referring to uh, uh, the, the people as stiff-necked people. In other words, they were obstinate concerning the things of God. Our worship is going to be seen in our humility. Listen, it, it's, it's over and over. The psalmist actually knew this in Psalm 95 and verse number 6. Notice what he says. He says, oh, come, let us. He says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel, he says, before the Lord, our maker. When you get to the end of the book, John's given a glimpse of things to come. And in Revelation chapter 11, in verse number 16, the Bible talks about the four and 20 elders. And it says, which sat before God on their seats, they actually fell on their faces and worshiped God. All throughout scripture, and we don't have time to go time and time again, when people come into contact of worshiping and come face to face with the creator of the universe, the natural response is a position of getting on our face before God. I don't even want to go back there because, see, I wrote it in pencil in case I decided to erase it. When was the last time we bowed the knee? When was the last time we bowed our heads? was the last time we got down do you know what it says when they put their faces to the pavement they literally this was their face on the pavement down humble humble adoration for the king when was the last time we did that See, our worship should be characterized by humility, but it also, our worship should be characterized by sincerity. It should be sincere. In fact, in Exodus 34, you remember after the whole debacle, Moses is up on Mount Sinai, he's getting the, the commandments from God, and you remember what's going on down there in the valley? You know, the people tell Aaron, they're like, get up! Get up and make us a golden image. And, and Aaron, you know, I don't know what was going on with Aaron that, at that moment when they woke up. I think he still had sleepy in his eyes. He's like, what are you talking about? And he tells them to take off their gold earrings. You remember they make the golden calf and everything. Moses comes down. I mean, God's like, oh, you better get down there. Moses comes down in anger. What does he do? He throws down the tablets. And so God says, guess what, Moses? Get back up here. And before you get up here, by the way, cut out two more tables of stone. And so Moses cuts out two more tables of stone. He goes up to Mount Sinai. Scripture actually says that the Lord descends in a cloud and he meets with Moses there. And as he's renewing his covenant with Moses, he says this to Moses. He says, don't you make any more covenants with those people. What? He says, your covenant's with me. You don't make a covenant with the people. Here's what he says. You need to destroy their altars. You need to break their images. You need to cut down any of their groves. God takes this idea of worship very, very seriously. And in verse number 14 of Exodus chapter 4, God actually reminds Moses why he tells him these things. In verse 14 says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Oh, listen. God's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and truth and humility. But he will, he's looking for people who are sincere in their worship. And I just put in my notes, we cannot rightly worship God if our worship is not sincere. Because the truth of the matter is we either worship the Lord our God or we worship someone or something else. But I can tell you God's desire then and his desire still today is that we as his children worship him sincerely. In other words, openly and honestly. In fact, if, if you want to turn there, 2 Kings, I want you to see the 2 Kings chapter 23. In my Bible, it's 286, if that helps you out at all. 2 Kings, I want you to see in chapter 23, there was, there was one king 
in the Old Testament really who stands out in my mind as someone who really got it right when it comes to worshiping in sincerity. And his name was Josiah. Anybody remember the story of King Josiah? He was a, he was a young king uh, at that, but he got it right. And he gives us an example. And in 2 Kings 23, notice the Bible tells us this in verse number 3. It's, and, and, and here's the point. After Josiah reads the words of the book of the covenant that's found in the temple, this is what happens. Look at verse number 3. It says, The king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord, watch his, watch his covenant, to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. Now let me just say this. By the way, it's been a long time at this point. It's been a long time since the people had actually worshipped God this way. Okay, so Josiah's starting to do something that hadn't been done, quite honestly, in a long time. So now look at verse 3 again. It says, And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant with the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. But notice what he says. With all, not his heart, but with all their heart. He's speaking for the people. He's making it for the people. Watch, all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in his book. And all the people, notice what it says, and all the people stood to the covenant. And throughout the rest of the chapter, man, you got to read it. Take it home today and read it. Throughout the rest of the chapter, Josiah, he ain't playing games. He starts cutting down the groves. He starts taking down images. He starts getting rid of all these places of false idol worship. And he's directing the people, saying, no, we're going to worship God. We're going to worship God, the Lord our God, the Lord our God. And he's pushing, and he's pushing buttons that had not been pushed in a long time because he wants their worship of God to be sincere. And while you're there, look down at verse number 25. Because verse 25 tells us a little bit, as Paul Harvey used to say for the older crowd here, the rest of the story. Notice verse 25. It says, And like unto him there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses. Now watch what it says here. Neither after him. Neither after him arose there any like him. Josiah led the people to restore proper worship of the Lord their God. The, the central purpose of worship all throughout the Old Testament was literally the people were to be committed to the sincere worship of the Lord their God. And Josiah did it. He's, the Bible says there was none before him like him and none after him. May that be said of each and every one of us. The management and stewardship of every blessing, of every blessing that these people, every blessing that they had received, the management and stewardship of every blessing they had received. You think about it, every offering, every feast, everything they did was designed, was literally designed to demonstrate their love and devotion to the Lord. So I also wrote a question out to the side in pencil after this one. Here it is. Is everything that you and I do geared to demonstrate our love and devotion to the Lord? See, God, you say, man, how can I be a better steward of this gift of life? I think it could be seen in our worship. Is our worship humble? Is our worship sincere? Because that's what God's looking for. He's looking for worshipers, true worshipers who will worship him in faith and love and hope and joy. He's wanting our worship to be sincere. But I also think our worship should be characterized by sacrifice. And I know some of you say, oh boy, I'm good with the humbling myself. I'm good with the sincerity. But don't ask me to sacrifice anything. I would say that you're missing the boat. You're missing the boat if you don't capture this idea of sacrifice. Listen, genuine worship involves sacrifice and Typically, sacrifice is an outpouring of obedience. In fact, in Genesis 4.4, you remember, Abel, he offers of the firstlings of his flock. And, and the Bible says the Lord had respect unto Abel for his, uh, for his offering. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, so to speak. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse number 4, the Bible says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Why? 
Why was his sacrifice more acceptable? Because Abel put God first. He said, I'm going to sacrifice the very best because God deserves the very best from me. And do you know? He deserves the very best from us. Nothing has changed, by the way. He still deserves the very best. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, the Bible tells us that we're to, uh, to offer our bodies, i.e. our lives, if you please, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. And Paul actually tells the, them at that point, he says that it's your reasonable service. It's not something that's ostentatious. It's not something that's out of whack. He says it's reasonable to offer your bodies this way. In Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says that we're to offer the sacrifice of praise continually. In fact, that verse in verse 15 says, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to the Lord. It goes on to say that. And so the sacrifice of praise, this idea of sacrificing is not just about what we typically make it about. Verse 16 talks about doing good and to, and to communicate or to share with those in need. Oh, my friends, as managers of a life that we've been blessed with, a life that we've been entrusted with, our worship should be humble. Our worship should be sincere. And people ought to see the sacrificial nature of our worship. Do you know that there are people that are driving by this building right now as we're in here worshiping at who knows what speeds? I know what the speed limit says, but who knows how fast they're ripping by. Do you know, does it, let me ask you a question. Does anybody here have neighbors? Anybody have a neighbor that lives close to you? Unless you live out on your own compound somewhere, do you have neighbors? And even if you have your own compound that you live on, do you know that there are people who are watching you come and go? They're watching to see what your worship is all about. Hey, by the way, you know what they're watching? They're watching whether your worship is consistent or not. Do we really worship the Lord our God the way that we should? Are we humble? Are we sincere? Is our worship sacrificial? Because I got news for you. Not only is God watching, but people are watching too. I'll say that here again in just a minute. But I think our, our, our worship is, is one way that we can display the glory of God. Secondly, I think that our walk, our walk, which is connected to our worship, is another way that we can display God's glory. In the Old Testament, you see, in fact, even people today, when you ask people today about the Old Testament, they're like, oh, man, that's all about the law, restrictions, and regulations. And, man, I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, yes, you are. <laughs> you didn't have to declare it either. That, that's just the reality of things. You, you're, you and I are on the other side of things. We're on the other side of Christ, amen? Uh-oh. We're on the other side of Christ, amen? You ought to be thankful for Christ. Whether you're thankful for this message or not is a different matter. <laughs> you know, stewardship is one of the least favorite topics of people to hear preached or taught about. You want to know why? Because it rubs our fur the wrong way. It's like I've said many times, if this word of God rubs your fur the wrong way, just turn that cat around. Some of you will get that. People always point to the Old Testament about the law, restrictions, and, and regulations, and, and say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, so I just like the love and the heart of God. We kiss the New Testament. That's what we do, right? We're like, oh, I'm so thankful for the New Testament. Sorry, sorry, audio guys. <laughs> right? But the truth is that if you really get into Scripture, God's love in his heart is weaved all through it. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, it's there throughout. His, his desire to have a relationship with us is sown through his word all over. It's all over. In fact, it, back in Genesis chapter 3, you remember, Adam and Eve, they sinned. And verse 8 says that when they heard the verse of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day, Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Why? Why did they hide? Because they sinned. Thank you, Ernie. <laughs> they sinned. 
They realize that, uh oh, there's a problem. Houston, we have a problem. We're naked. Where, how did they come up with the word naked? That's what, one of the questions my mother in law would ask. She's always asking etymology of words. How did they know? Their sin revealed their nakedness. But here's what I know even though they sinned, the reality is that in Genesis chapter 3, it was the same God who created them, and the same God who loved them that came looking for them. He knew where they were. It was like a game of hide and seek. He was like, Ali, Ali, I'm come free. Where are you at? I need to talk with you. There's a problem. We got to get this problem corrected. Oh, listen, all throughout Scripture, we read about people walking with the Lord. In fact, many of you know, other than Christ, probably my favorite person in Scripture is Enoch. Very little is written about Enoch, but he had this one testimony that he walked with the Lord. He pleased the Lord. Oh, may that be said of each and every one of us. We read about Abraham walking with God. God commanded him in Genesis 17, 1, saying, Walk before me and be thou perfect. This is how God was saying, I want you to live. Be thou perfect. In Genesis 24, 40, Abraham actually testifies that he does this. We can look through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and the reality of God's pointing for us to walk in all of his ways and his love and, and to serve him. But in 1 Kings chapter 2, I remember a passage, and I'm going to read it from the CSB. But I remember a passage in 1 Kings chapter 2 where David is so strict with his son Solomon. He's telling Solomon what his walk and what his worship should look like. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, this is reading from the CSB. Here's what David says. He says, And keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, commands, ordinance, and decrees. Watch these words. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in what? In everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons guard their way to walk faithfully before me and all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. In other words, they were to live according to God's word and so are we. Anybody here? So are we. Guys, I want you to throw up, as temples of the living God, Scripture has a great deal to say about how we're to walk. And I don't know if you guys have that slide, and you might not be able to see it, but there's a whole rack. If you want to take a picture and zoom in on it, that's up to you. There's a whole rack of verses about how we're to walk as believers. And this is important as we steward or manage the life that we've been given. In Acts chapter 9, uh, just like the churches in Judea, get, uh, Galilee, and Samaria, this passage uh, indicates that we should be walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Romans 6, 4, just as Christ was raised up. Remember, even Travis, when, when he baptized, he, he loves to use the Romans 6, 4 passage, to walk in newness of life. That's how we're to walk in the newness of life. Romans 8 and Galatians 5 says that we're no, no longer walk in the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. Romans 13, 13, walk honestly. Romans, or 2 Corinthians 5, 7, walk by faith, not by sight. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we are his workmanship or his masterpiece and that we're to walk in those good works that he has before ordained that we should walk. Oh, my friends, we're to walk worthy of the calling that we have in Christ. Ephesians 4, 1, 5, 2. Ephesians 5, 2 says that just as Christ loved us, we're to walk in love. Oh, we're to walk as children of light. I've already pointed out uh, the passage from Ephesians 5, 8, and then walk circumspectly or in wisdom. And, and here's the reality. The last one that I put up there is 2 John 1, 4 and 3 John 1, 3 and 4. It says walk in truth. Here's the deal. We can do all of the other ones if we walk according to truth. You see, it's not a big deal to walk worthy. It's not a big deal to walk by faith. It's not a big deal to walk in love or as children of light or to walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. It's not a big deal as long as we're walking in truth. See, the problem is we get the last thing wrong and then all the other things are wrong. And so we got to stick to God's word. Listen, as managers of this precious life that we have been given and entrusted with, walking with Christ is not an option. It's an expectation. 
Walking with Christ is not an option. It's an expectation. Man, I'm so thankful. Everybody's so excited about this stewardship blessing today. I'm, you guys are really doing my heart good. Well, I'll wrap it up. Because those two were the longest thoughts. But I do have a couple more for you. Not only are we to show through our worship and our walk, we're not only to display God's glory in our worship and our walk, but I believe we are to display God's glory in our witness. In our witness. And listen, there's no doubt that this can be hard. I've heard people say, man, I... Man, I'm, I'm so nervous. I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so this, I'm so that. And I, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. And, I, and, you know, that's for this and that's for that. Listen, we are to honor the Lord. We are to be good stewards of our life. And it should be seen in our witness. And I know this is difficult, but I want to encourage you with one verse. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Jesus said to his disciples at that point, notice what he says he says, I'm going to give you a power source. You guys lack power. But I'm going to leave a power source here with you. Remember, he was telling them, he says, hey, it's good that I go away so that the comforter will come. And now we get to Acts chapter 1, and they're wondering what's going to take place. Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, and he says, listen, I'm going to leave a power source for you. Here's what he says. And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. Listen, we cannot allow the enemy of our souls, the liar, the murderer, the devil, and this world to get us off track or to intimidate us in this regard. Our witness is vitally important as we manage this gift of life. And Peter and the other disciples, you remember? They have the encounter with the lame guy in Acts chapter 3. And then Acts chapter 4, they're preaching and they threaten him. They throw him in jail. And then they go and they have a prayer meeting with the church. And so they go out with boldness and they come back. And guess what? Same, same story, just a different date. They're going to throw him in jail and they're threatening him. And they're like, didn't we tell you guys not to teach and preach in the name of Jesus? And you get to Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Here's what Peter and the other apostles said. They said, we ought to obey God rather than man. God said to go into all the world, and that's exactly what we got to do. We got to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We got to go into every nation and teach and disciple, and this is our calling. See, we're trying to walk in truth, and, 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 and the truth giver said this is what we're to do. So guess what? We're just going to keep on obeying God rather than you guys. And the reality is, I think about this passage, verse number 32 says that they said, they were, they said we are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. So we're going to obey God, and the Holy Ghost is given to those who obey God. So guess what? We have a power source that says we're not afraid of you. You want to lock me up for talking about Jesus? You go right ahead. I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. You want to stone me for talking about Jesus? Go right ahead. I'm just going to keep talking about Jesus until my very last breath. See, we have a job as managers of this beautiful life that we've been given. To make much of Jesus, as Travis always says. Oh, listen. And when we do this, by the way, if we have the power, if we have the Holy, if we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, and if the Holy Spirit is also a witness of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and we have that powerful resource in our corner, the reality is when we go out to share our faith, we're going to have help of the Holy Spirit. Do you know sometimes you might say, Something, the Holy Spirit give you ability to say something, you, you don't even know what you're saying. Until it's over. And you're like, how did that happen? How? What? That, that guy just trusted Christ. I don't even know what I said. You don't need to know other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what you tell him. You tell him Jesus changed you. You see, because Jesus gave us an incredibly important principle in Mark chapter 8, in verse 36 and 37, he said, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And then he goes on and he says, Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Oh, listen, my friends. This goes back to the importance or the responsibility of letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father 
which is in heaven. And then lastly, I just close. Listen, we ought to display the glory of God in our worship, in our walk, in our witness, but also in our work. In our work. And I know you all just really turned off the channel for good right there. No, I do not have a sign-up sheet up here for you to work in the nursery. Although Abby told me I should, right? She said, bring that sign-up sheet and pass it around until it's filled up. See, our Lord, I don't know if you were paying attention last week, but Brother Brian shared a short passage from John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, guys, if you'll put out verse number 4, you remember what Jesus said. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. The reality is if Jesus worked, then you and I need to be working. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. If he was committed to the Father's will, so should we. And so I simply ask, are you serving the Lord in any way? Ah, I got it. Got it in there. Are we serving the Lord anyway? And if not, here's the harder question. Why not? Do you know Battlefield Baptist Church isn't about me? There'll come a day, folks, when I'll be gone. There'll come a day, some way or the other, where I won't be standing behind this pulpit preaching or teaching. There'll be somebody else that'll come along. This isn't about me. And if I could be so bold and loving to say, it's really not about us. See, I think we've gotten off somewhere along the way where we think that the church is all about fulfilling our needs. It's not. The church is all about us coming together as a called out assembly of baptized believers to worship the Lord and to serve the Lord. We do serve the Lord. We don't, we, listen, there may be an instance where you see me serving you and loving you and vice versa, but the reality is the reason we do that is because we are serving the Lord, because of our love for the Lord. This is everything churns out of that thing. And so I ask, listen, one of the reasons, by the way, I put in my notes, one of the reasons, and there are a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons many people actually burn out, they actually burn out from serving the Lord. Like, man, I burned out. I can't sing in a choir anymore. Get over it. Do you know my voice was worn out in the 90s here at this church? Singing all the time. I didn't think I was ever going to get my voice back. But the Lord brought my voice back and I'm able to be up here with these guys singing in the choir again. And I love singing. Listen, people, you want to know why people burn out serving the Lord? Because only about 10% of the people are actually doing anything. That's a hard truth and I know that's not, like is that how you're going to finish the message? The reality is it isn't about me needing you to serve the Lord. It's about that you in recognition of all that God has done for you can't help but to serve the Lord. Wouldn't it be amazing, Travis, wouldn't it be amazing if you had a whole rack of people said, Pastor, Travis, uh, man, I just, I just, is there any way I can help out with the uh, middle school and high school ministry? What? <laughs> Number one, after you pick him up off the floor from passing out, I'd assure you he would be thankful. Oh, could I do something with children's ministry? Could I help out? And could, I, could I tell a child about Jesus? No, we don't want you to tell children about Jesus here. Could, 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 I, could I play an instrument? You know, I played an instrument in college, or I played an instrument a long time ago. I was actually in, in a, shh, I was in a band, and I actually played uh, guitar, or I played, you know, drums, or I played the piano or keyboard or something. Could I, could I be a part of that? Actually, yeah. We've actually been advertising that for a few weeks. 
Could I sing in a choir? Yeah, I think Chad would be excited to see you. Could I serve in the nursery? I know Abby would be excited to see you. And it's not that anybody's trying to overwork anybody, but you know, if everybody did something, the reality is that you would probably only serve once in a blue moon. The reason people burn out is because the lack of people being willing to serve God. But here's what Hebrews 6.10, it says, God is not unrighteous. He's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. You don't have to worry about me remembering because scripture says God's not unrighteous to forget. He's going to reward you for your service. Listen, our worship, our walk, our witness, and our work is incredibly important. And God's desires for every one of us who names the name of Christ to be using our gifts, our talents, and our abilities for his honor and his glory, but also for the, on the benefit and the behalf of the church to serve the church as well. So as we enter this time of invitation and personal reflection, and I close the Bible because there are no more verses to be had this morning, Michaela. As we enter the time of invitation, I just, I wonder today, how is the management of our life going? You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm raising 2.4 kids, and I've got this job, and I've got this job, and I've got this, and, and my husband says this, my wife says this, my grandkids say this, my, my whatever, my neighbor says this, and I, my job is saying this, my boss says this, and blah, 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 blah. By the way, do you know that I didn't wake up as a pastor? I've had all kind of bosses. But none of them have been more powerful than God. None of them have deserved my service more than God. I've had good boss, bosses. In the military, I had some that, well, just pray for them. In ministry, I've had good bosses. I've actually had bosses that weren't so good. By the way, this isn't the only church I've served at, so before everybody runs and makes a call to Florida, <laughs> you all laugh, but it's, it's a reality. Are you a believer today? Do you know Jesus? Because see, that's the getting in part. But after we are in Christ, things ought to look different than before Christ. Before Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We walked in darkness. We were without hope. After Christ, we have love, joy, peace, hope. And on and on it goes. The riches of His glory in Christ Jesus, as we've been looking at in the Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. If you don't know Christ today, can I lovingly encourage you? That is the first and the most important decision you'll ever make. It's even more important than any marriage decision you made or are thinking about making. It's the most important. So if you don't know Christ, can I encourage you to know that he loves you and that he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And the Bible says that you can call upon him and he will forgive you. He will come into your life. He will change you from the inside out. And then this matter of managing our life becomes really important. But if you're here and you already know Christ, I would encourage you and submit that your life has already been given to you. You are a steward of this life. And so ask yourself, how is your worship today? Is it humble? Is it sincere? Is it sacrificial? How is your walk today? Are you walking in truth? Are you walking according to the word of God? How's your witness? When was the last time? When was the last time you shared the love and the truth of Jesus Christ, the change that took place in your life? When was the last time you gave an answer of the hope that resides within your heart to somebody else? And when was the last time you served the Lord? You say, well, I served the Lord 
over here, over there, over there. Can, you, can I tell you, one of the greatest places you'll ever serve is it within the confines of the church. You say, oh, that's just the pastor talking. No, that would be Greg talking. I've lived it. I've experienced it. Can I tell you? Make a decision today to give your whole life, all of your substance, every resource that you've been given. Make that decision today that recognizes the biblical responsibility of stewardship and give it back to God. Can I tell you? He'll do a better job of it when we give it over to Him. So I pray that you'll do business with the Lord while He's near. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the message and the reminder that our worship, our walk, our witness, and our work are all important components in the life of a steward. God, I pray that you'll meet with us during these next few moments, that you will do exactly what you desire to do, that people will make decisions that bring you honor and glory, and that as we go away from this place, that we will go in an effort to display your glory. Lord, we'll give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen and amen.